This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Amy Franco. Amy got started in sales with IBM and Lenovo and had wild success in sales and sales leadership positions. Since then, she's had a remarkable run in the last 16 years working with mid-market sales organizations, helping sales leaders worldwide create new sales success standards through sales strategy, advisory services, and skill development programs. Now, her work has been a massive success, and she's emerged as an expert in modern sales strategies. Along the way, Amy scooped up more than her fair share of awards and accolades. She's been recognized by LinkedIn as a top sales voice. She's one of Top Sales World's top 50 keynote speakers and top 50 sales bloggers. She's won multiple Apex Awards of Excellence for sales training design, and she's the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, The Modern Seller. And she's a highly acclaimed speaker and guest in sales events worldwide. I am really excited to have her join me today in an episode where we discuss a topic we have never dedicated an entire show to in our four plus years of show history. We are in for a ride today. I'm excited to get this one started. Amy, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Rob, it is awesome to be here. I love the energy that you are bringing out of the gate, and I am excited for this conversation too. I can't wait. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I'm really excited. Why don't we start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners? We've got 50,000 people that are going to be excited about this conversation. Why don't you introduce them to you and what you're doing for your customers right now? Yes. Hey, absolutely. Welcome to 50,000 new friends, sales leaders, high performers. Let's go. Let's it's go. awesome to be here. So, um, so my personal or my professional journey, personal professional journey has been an interesting one and a winding one. For the first 10 years of my career, I was in tech. I was at uh, IBM and I was at Lenovo and in that technology channel space. 
And mm-hmm. uh, interestingly enough, I sold, uh, I sold a commodity. I sold uh, uh, personal computing hardware, laptops, okay. desktops, tablets, and uh, sold to a variety of uh, customer types, large enterprise, small to mid-sized business, public sector, you name it. Um, it's really where, as I look back on my career journey, where I started to build those modern selling skills, although I probably didn't really know it at the time. You know, just with the benefit of hindsight, you see that. Yeah. And uh, then about 10 years in, um, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit, that entrepreneurial bug. I knew I was either going to start something or lead something. And I took a big pivot into entrepreneurship 16 years ago, which is crazy to believe it's been that amount of time. And I got into something I was passionate about, learning and development, leadership, strategy. And uh, as many careers do, it has evolved and morphed over the years. What it looks like today is I get to work with awesome growth, mid-market-sized, high-growth companies where CEOs, sales leaders really want to uh, improve through strategy, sales strategy, through skill development, developing themselves, developing their teams. And uh, we get to work together in that space. And I couldn't be more excited about where it's at today and where it's headed in the future, which is why we're here today talking data, because that's a big part of what I do. Well, thank you for introducing yourself that way. Congrats on an amazing career. Like you, you got started in a place known for like teaching people what sales done right looks like. Yeah. And, but what I really am impressed with is 16 years is not like a one hit wonder. 16 years, you stayed more than relevant. You stayed in front and you've helped people go through a several times of change, Right. And, uh, and I think that really qualifies you for being super insightful for what I think our leaders that are listening to us today, they're going to find your perspective, I think, really helpful. I appreciate that. And I would say probably the one other thing that really defines my career, my entrepreneurial journey, and I think our leaders and high performers listening to this today will appreciate this, is just that idea of always staying fresh. Um, looking to learn new things. I learn as much from my clients as I hope my clients learn from me and the opportunity to work together. Um, But just really always looking at what's new. How can I stay fresh? How do I stay relevant? That's an exciting part of the journey. You know, it's really interesting that you bring that up. Like this always happens when I have guests with a lot of depth like you. We often go off of what we thought we were going to talk about. And so what you just brought up, I'd like to sit in for just a second, because that's another topic that we haven't really hit. I've been in the middle of SKO season, as you and I were talking about, and and 18 SKOs is what I've signed up for this year. And uh, and I'm, I'm getting to the end. It's been interesting because most of the people that I work with are people that are in growth mode that are doing well, that are like willing to fly everybody together and get them together because not everybody's doing that. So that often means I have people with some tenure and tenure can be an advantage and tenure can be a disadvantage sometimes. Because one of the things I've been saying to some of the groups is what your advantage is as a tenured seasoned team. Well, what's the advantage? You know, your customers, you know, your market, you know, what's going on, but what's the disadvantage. You might let yourself get old. You might let yourself get stale. And so before we get in, this actually may be a good lead into what we were talking about. We're going to talk about like, any tips to the people that are listening right now? How do you make sure that you don't, when I say old, I'm not talking AARP old, I'm talking about stale. How do we make sure we don't become the old gray mare? She ain't what she used to be. Because I've seen lots of people do that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I would say if I were to look at that with a couple lenses first, mm-hmm. 
First is the personal lens that says, I take ownership and responsibility for my growth. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to wait for someone to tap me on the shoulder to go to the conference or to dig into maybe an assessment of some kind, which we'll get into that a little bit more with the data conversation here, but to really own your own growth and path and to not let other people necessarily define it for you or to wait for them to invest in you. Always bet on yourself and invest in yourself. If, and that's the personal lens. From the leader lens, I would say if thinking about the leaders that are listening in on that, part of your role is not only to look at yourself, but to be aware of your team and how can you help your team to grow and perhaps shine a light on some things that they may want to amplify if they're doing it really well. Or they may, you may shine a light to say, hey, let's work on this because I care. And I know if you work on this, you're going to be even more successful. So leaders have kind of that, that dual lens. They have to look yeah. at themselves and their teams. You're right. Because one of the things that we should ask ourselves, maybe you've seen it, Bain, Bain, you know, the consulting company, Bain and Company, they did a study about a year and a half ago where they asked a couple thousand salespeople, I think it was 210 sales organizations. How much would you pay for an hour of time with your leader if you had to pay for it with your own pocket? Okay. And um, the number one answer, 54% of the reps in the study said I'd pay less than $1 of my money uh, for an hour of time with my leader. Interesting. And to me, that's a sign of leaders who have let themselves become irrelevant to your point. And if we can't help those we lead feel like we're growing faster or becoming more or like what took you 20 years to learn, I want to learn in two. Maybe that might be too aggressive, but we should be able to shorten and compress that. I think that's what, that's one of the things that you're talking about. And I find that really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I think use of data is one of the ways that some leaders let themselves become stale. And they keep, you know, like, for example, like what we were talking about, like we're in the world of activity management. I'm going to spreadsheet you for a while and we're going to call count instead of make the calls count. And right. 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, that was like the thing, but the early 2000s called and they want that strategy back, right? We're, we're uh, isn't that the time. truth? <laughs> there, there's something that you said, I, I, won't, I won't take us too far down the rabbit hole because I know we want to talk some data yep. here, yep. but there's something that you said I just wanted to bring up to this group. And that is the, um, that's a really shocking statistic. I, less than a dollar. I'll send you this. I'll send you the study after if you want it, because you'll probably find that helpful in what you do. Yes. That's so interesting. And what occurred to me as I was listening to you say that is a lot of leaders are shifting roles. You know, the, Mm. the idea that a lot of leaders spend less than 12 to 24 months in their current leadership role. Um, I really believe that the first line sales manager probably has the hardest job in all of sales. And I have a lot of respect for really excellent first line sales managers because that is not an easy job. And part of it is it's hard to get to know your team when you are moving in and out of roles, your company is reorging and shifting. And it's, it's just the acknowledgement of that from a leader standpoint, that that's tough on you. And finding ways to not only manage to that, but to thrive in it. Really, really insightful. As you layer that in with that, how long you stay in your role, it does make it tougher. And so again, we've got to have ways that we connect with people quicker. So this is awesome. I I didn't expect us to talk about that, but when you said that, keep yourself relevant, like 
you've done that. You're, you're demonstrating how to do that. And, and I think you're right. I think that the leader has this double, like I have to do it personally, but I also got to do it professionally because we got to be a leader that people want to work for. We, we can't just have positional title where we say, well, I'm the leader. So go follow me. No, we got to be someone that people say, I'm going to be in this role because you're there because Absolutely. you can do stuff for me. So, yeah. so let's sit in here for a minute. I, I already mentioned that I'm doing a lot of SKOs and, and in these, these, this time of year, I see a lot of people that are pushing the more button. They're asking for growth. They're emphasizing what we're going to do next year. You know, I see a lot of clarity around what the target is, but I see less clarity on what's the well-lit pathway to success because the emphasis is always the number, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, in fact, I would say most of the time, a common thing I see in those is a lot of charts with data and pictures of the past. Um, and sometimes I think data might be the victim of, the biggest victim of a case of mistaken identity, that maybe the role of data and what it's for. And if we could have understanding on like what's the modern best use of data, we might avoid this mistaken identity stuff. So I wanted to start with that. Like, what's your philosophy about data? You know, how should companies and leaders in particular, like what should we be thinking data is for? Is that a good place to start? I think that's a great place to start because I think that's going to segue into a lot of other paths that we could go down for everybody who's watching and listening. Okay. You know, my, my personal data philosophy and just a, a little bit about my, a little past context, if you will, data is not something that I wrapped my arms around willingly on, up until, let's say the last like five years. I, I watched my numbers. I was always hyper-focused on my numbers as an individual contributor, but yep. wrapping my arms strategically around data is something I've really embraced in the last five years for myself and for my clients. And so when we talk about data philosophy, I'm a big fan of figuring out what truly matters most to your organization and your people, because there's a million data points, million data, millions of data points we could pay attention to. But what are the ones that really, really matter most? And this idea that we were talking about yesterday behind the scenes, it's the idea of the balance between looking backwards and looking forwards. There is, of course, some value to some backward look, right? We need to understand to a degree where we've been so that we could know where to go. But yep. we spend a lot of time looking in the rearview mirror. And what if we could flip that a bit to help to use data with the philosophy of looking forward and also using it to empower teams and not beat them up with data. It's funny that you say that. I want to like pause on that for a second. I want to sit in this for like, I love what you just went. Um, a lot of times I have reps or salespeople tell me that they feel like micromanaged by data and, and you feel like you're under a microscope. And I think that this, I'm so glad you wanted to start with philosophy around data. Like, philosophy should drive everything like our philosophy and how we sell philosophy and how we use data is like what's our philosophical like what's our approach if data is used to microscope someone then you could wither under it but i like to tell people what happens if you turn a microscope upside down and you look through the other end it becomes a telescope right how do you flip that around and you of course we should measure what happened i'm not saying we shouldn't look at the past but i think that's a philosophical thing as well for example a lot of people i, I just had a client Last week, I asked when we were doing one, we were working on their approach to one-on-ones. So what percentage of your time, the one-on-ones are on the past and what percentage of your time is on the future? And he said, 
90% of my one-on-one is about what they did since our last meeting and 10% is what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So, man, we got to flip that. We've got to flip that because the past is already passed. 10% on the past, 90% of the future. And he reported back like on the first three one-on-ones that says that that by itself changed everything because it became strategic instead of compliant, right? And so I'd love to hear your thought about that orientation. Yes. So, so again, my own personal journey of having enthusiasm for data, as I like to call it, and um, looking at it through the lens of positivity, how can we use it to empower our teams? Just on that coaching commentary alone, when I'm working with teams and uh, assessing teams, I can actually tell you where your sales leaders and managers are spending their time with their teams, Mm. the types of conversations that they're having, the length of time that they're having, and how those coaching conversations are actually occurring. Is it something that is scheduled on a cadence where the leader is driving it? Or is it something where it is more um, reactive, where the sales professional is perhaps driving it? I think there's value to both personally. And when I'm looking at a team, how self-motivated and self-disciplined are the leaders and the professionals to create an environment where there is um, balance in how those coaching conversations are happening and what is actually being discussed. Um, so I can look at your team and tell you that, which is so valuable. And here's what oftentimes happens is an overwhelming majority of sales professionals aren't spending time with their leaders, which goes back to your uh, study about I'd pay a buck to spend an hour with my leader. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The power of observation with data, right? Observe it. If you don't agree with it, observe it. See what, see what, see what comes up. Look. I want to extend that one more, like out one more level on this. I've observed in my observations that sometimes people on the, like, again, sales, the sales person, the sales rep, the sales professional, whatever you want to call it, the individual contributor. Sometimes they feel ambushed with data that we weaponize it sometimes. Yep. You ever see that? Like any, any thoughts around that? I, I find that that could be really destructive and it makes people lean out from data instead of into it. And today I want to get to a point where we talk about how do we use that as a catalyst rather than like, I don't know, a cattle prod. Um, I'd love yep. your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So if we back up to the, ph- the philosophy question, senior leaders all the way down, what is the philosophy around using data? Is it to empower teams or is it to, um, to it, it, not only, not necessarily intentionally, but is it destructive, right? So again, as leaders thinking about how would I want to use data to empower my teams? What's my personal philosophy? To your point about the using data to kind of wither people and as a cattle prod, I see it all the time. And it typically takes the form of the the rear view look, right? These are all the things that didn't happen over the last month, quarter, pick your timeframe. Your quota attainment is ultimately a lagging indicator of the strategic activities that you either did or didn't do over the previous timeframe. So I see it all the time, companies using data in a destructive unempowering way with their teams. And that starts at the top with a difference, changing your philosophy about how you use data, but also expecting transparency, not hiding what the results are. I spend a lot of time with clients talking about the transparency of data to build Hmm. comfort with it. 
If you are not an organization that is used to using sales data, whether it's CRM data or skill data, whatever that happens to be, there is a learning curve across the organization to use it in a way that is uh, for good and not for evil and to build, build up your comfort with seeing the numbers and having transparency. So there's that, that if you have a philosophy of transparency, transparency with kindness, if you will, to a degree, which is not always synonymous in sales, but candor, candor with data, but also using it in an empowering way. Well, I love that you went to transparency as well, because I think when people feel bullied by data or like how you called it destructive, yeah. sometimes it's because I, almost every leader, I shouldn't say every, as soon as I say every, the, every, then I'll have the exception come through. Almost every leader kind of has their version of the magic spreadsheet. You know, we have the transparent stuff that everybody has access to, but then the leader has their own little like whatever. And it's not transparent to everyone. And it shows up in the one-on-one -on -one, or it shows up in a sales meeting. Or, and that's when you feel ambushed is when it doesn't have that transparency. So I, I like where you're going with this. Maybe we can shift into, if you're going to be a modern sales leader, and that's what you're an expert in. You're an expert in modern sales leadership. You, you, literally, you literally wrote the book on the modern seller, okay? So you, you, I believe that we can have a really fun conversation here. If you want to be a modern sales leader, any best practices in use of data? Because it's part of being a modern sales team. It shouldn't be scary to people. It shouldn't feel like it's only guardrails and we're just trying to keep you in here. I like the idea of, can we even turn it into a GPS? Like when I'm driving now, I used to print my map quests out so I would know where to turn, right? Now you don't do that because we, as modern drivers, we have a GPS telling us where to go. I, I believe there's a, a, that's a metaphor for what data can do for salespeople if we let it. So I'll shut up. I, I'm dying to hear your thoughts on mo modern sales leaders, how they can use data to create a really functional environment. Yeah. So what you're talking about is um, basically operationalizing the right data. So if we, so if I were to paint the picture, I like to think in frameworks and and help um, just help create categories for for people to think through. So your first category is your, basically your personal philosophy around data. Spend okay. some time with that. That's more of a reflective, more of a strategic uh, exercise, if you will. But now what we're moving into is more of an oper operationalizing it. So there are some categories that I typically work with clients on. And so as I'm sharing these for everybody who's watching and listening, think about how you would assess these different categories where you are today. So you can, you can measure the structures in your organization. You can gather data and measure that. That might be your CRM. It might be sales methodology. It might be tools. Think about all the structural things that support the sales organization. You can measure, and I would highly encourage you to measure your, um, your essentially it's your client success. And what a, a trend that is happening right now that is, data is useful for is really understanding, are we working with our best customers and clients? And do we have opportunities to curate out essentially the ones that are not the right fit for our organization for a lot of different reasons? So I look at data to have really healthy conversations around what our customer and client sets look like. Um, the third bucket, I'm going to uh, going to organize these together. You can also measure the skills and the mindsets 
of your sales leadership and your sales teams. Um, there are lots of other way, other things that you could delve into, but for purposes of our conversation today, those are three categories that if you start in or make progress in, that's going to give you a good framework or roadmap, the GPS, if you will, to, um, to use data wisely and smartly to grow. So I really like this structure. I like that you separated your philosophy first, and then you gave these three other categories, your structures, your client success, and then your skills and your mindset. The, the reason that I'm drawn to this, and I'd like to dive into this a little bit, because you picked one that has been top of mind for me. Um, we're going into a year, as we record this, we're at the very beginning of February, we're going to release this in February. Um we're looking at an economy where there's a lot of different things happening. I'm, I'm not going to be a fear monger and say we're, we're in a negative situation, but there's some weird things happening right now. I think that's a fair, th fair thing to say. Yep. And, and every leader that's listening to the show, they have a growth target for this year. They, they're being asked to grow at a time where the economy is maybe saying it might be hard to do that. So what I'm, I guess my point is our customers will look at things differently for sure this year. Our customers are going to look at things differently. And I'm seeing a lot of what I call rookie mistakes, even though they may be really tenured because they just don't know better. They say, oh, well, let's pretend I got to grow by 10% and it looks like the market's going to be down 10%. Then that means minimum, I got to do 20% more activities. I'm seeing stuff like that. Maybe more because... You know, uh, I, that may change my conversion metrics, et cetera. So this is where I'm going. Your third and final uh, category was skills and mindset. I, I, I'm, I think that this conversion metrics, I've always looked at three categories as activity metrics, conversion metrics, and then your productivity or, or profitability metrics, which are your client success metrics, which I really, I re, like I, I relate to everything you said. I think this year, working on skills and improvement are going to be maybe more important than ever before because, and I'm, I'm going to shut up now. If we just push the activity metric button, that's not a recipe for growth in my mind. That's a recipe for burnout in a tough year like this. Yeah. We want to establish an operating rhythm. I like to have activity metrics to give us an operating rhythm. And then we have this other metric to say, okay, I'll get more horsepower at this rhythm, but you can't work harder at some level. At some level you were working hard enough. And now you got to say, as a leader, Good rhythm, check. Now what we're going to do is get more horsepower. We're going to get better. So I want to talk about what you think the right skills and mindset metrics. And I rambled on to get there, so forgive me. But I wanted to set the stage on why I think it's so important. I think I think that's the jam. I think that might be the most inspiring way to use metrics. But I also think it's the least often used effectively in my like in my observations. And I'd love your take on it. Yeah, you know, that's, um, there's, there's a, a few threads I can pull on there. And, and the go. first thread is, um, you know, I say lots of data doesn't equate to lots of results. The mm. same thing, activity, lots of activity doesn't necessarily create, uh, equate to lots of results, right? We could do activity, you know, six ways to Sunday. But if it's not the right activity, then it isn't helpful in getting us to our goals. And I think you're spot on with this idea of um, there's there is burnout out there. You know, let's just let's just be candid about that. There is burnout in a lot of professions. The sales profession is especially prone to it, just with uh, the the yep. disruptions of the last three or four years. Um, but there's a couple things that you said in there, which is um, understanding the most important activities to get to 
what the growth goals that you have. Um, mm. There's also sales leaders may not agree with me on this. Um, there has to be, though, in my opinion, a smart expectation of what growth can look like. When Let's the, talk about that. How do you do that? I want to know how I, do you do that? That's a good one. How do you do that? that I, I, I wish I had a silver bullet for this, but um, it, it's the idea that if we set the metric so tall that even your best professionals would struggle to reach it, what does that do in terms of actually creating meaningful growth? That creates bad behaviors and unintended outcomes. So there, there is a realism that I believe we need to have as leaders, CEOs, sales leaders all the way down. And when you're, when you're in a publicly traded company, this might be a different conversation than when you're in a private organization. And I get that, but there has to be a realism, a candid conversation about what growth needs to look like. So that, again, that goes to philosophy, but when you're looking at actual tactical activities, what are the important activities that you can move the needle on? And to your point of self-discipline and motivation, I can actually tell you who on your team is able to work really well in an independent, remote type of environment and who needs close management. I can tell you that. And that says a lot about how you guide and lead those team members based on that though that particular discipline right there. There's other data points too, but when you understand how your team operates and you're asking them to do specific activities, you need to know how they operate personally and also where their strengths are. And I can tell you that. I'm chewing on that. So so we got a bunch of sales leaders listening. They, that that may sound really, really interesting and really, really exciting. And I, I'm guessing we got thousands of people that just heard you say that they're going, how do I do that? So uh -huh. can you give like, like a couple of insights, like here are some things that you can do to start on that road. Like I know in a few minutes, you're not going to be able to like give them everything, but maybe a couple things to help you start going on that road. Because once you're on that road, the more you do, the more you can do. Right. And yeah. so I, how, how, how do you help those people say, geez, Amy, that sounds really, really cool, but how do I do that? Yeah, and, and, and this, is where, this is where I have wrapped um, assessment into my process with okay. my clients. So I actually use a sales-specific skill assessment that I use with sales leaders, sales managers, and sales teams that can actually measure those things and mm. um, give you a really full picture of yourself and in, in the realm of sales, give you a really full picture of yourself in the realm of sales, and also give you a really full picture of your teams. And when you have that type of really solid, accurate data, and you, you, you have a philosophy that you're going to use it for good and to empower your teams, that's how you can understand the makeup of your team and say, oh gosh, you know, I have a team of 10 and I have, th this is, this, these are their strengths. These are their opportunities for improvement and I can, I can observe it. So now if you're being asked to grow your business by that, you know, mystical 10%, right. And you know, that a portion of that, let's say a portion of that has to come from, um, net new logos. Well, yep. if I have a team of 10 
And I now know that three of them are really excellent at hunting and have those hunting skills. I can help build that in them. If my other seven people are better at perhaps client growth, existing client growth, that's something that I could work on with them to help me get to my growth goal. But if I don't have any of that, I'm flying blind and I am, um, I'm trying to make heads or tails of it. How often do you find sales leaders have sat down and kind of inventoried the required skills for their job? Um, if that mm. makes sense. I, yeah. As I listen to you, it occurs to me that if you want to measure skills, you kind of have to have a skill inventory, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, how, how common or how rare is that to, for you to see? I would say that it's, it depends a little bit on the maturity of the organization. If, if organizations have, let's say like a sales enablement type of function, and mm-hmm. you have a team that's, some, that's dedicated to doing that kind of work, it's more common in those types of organizations. If you don't have that type of function, you, you, only, you may only see it in pockets. At best, it's, in, it's inconsistent. Um, but it, that's a really worthwhile exercise. I, and and that's, that's a combination of some um, you know, qualitative uh, observation and understanding what's, what your team is made up of. And then perhaps you have the ability to have some quantitative assessment to help you with that. But you do have to know what you require on your team. Yeah. And the reason I love that, again, we're going places that I didn't anticipate, which is always fun for me. I, I love guests like you that have so much depth that will go cool places. Uh, more than one study, and I'm sure you've seen the same stuff. Um, well, I've got a study by Jim Dickey that's standing out of my mind right now. And <laughs> excuse me, um, one of the, the catalysts that's often associated with, with high performance and great sales leadership or not is how good are we at showing what good looks like? Do I have a clear externally informed definition of what good looks like for my sales roles. And so to do that, to show what good looks like, you would, obviously, I can't believe I didn't like connect it like this before. You would have to have this skill inventory. Otherwise, how are you going to be able to show what good looks like, right? Yeah. And um, you're coming back to something that you said, which is just a little earlier that I think ties into that comment is, gosh, how do I do this with my teams? Um, and especially if you are a sales leader who perhaps at this moment in time doesn't have access to this type of data that I'm talking about. Um, so if you don't have access to this type of data, what do I do? This yeah. is where a tool like a skill inventory, um, which has qualitative and quantitative elements to it. And frankly, the powers of observation it's, and this is not always easy, especially if you are leading remote teams, remote teams, global teams, there, there's certainly an added layer of complexity to it. But let's, let's play through that idea of a skills, um, a skills matrix. Let's and, go. Yeah. Let's go. So yeah, if we, so if we play this out, the average organization gets 70% of their revenue from run rate business, maybe wow. some client expansion, but run rate business. I believe that that's a Gartner um, statistic. The okay. other 30% of their revenue comes from this idea of going after net new business. Interestingly enough, though, lots of organizations spend their time going after net new business versus growing their existing client base expansion, which I won't go down the rabbit hole on that at this moment in time, but we can come back to it and revisit it if you want to. But let's just use the 70-30 split. 
Yep. And I'm, I'm a sales leader. I need to grow by 10%, make up a number. Okay. And I know that part of that has to come from client expansion. Part of yep. that comes from new logos. So if we play out this idea of using a skill matrix and you look at your team and you may just, you may have to do this a little more qualitatively to begin with, if you don't have quantitative data to support you, but the top competencies that you're likely going to be looking for are things like hunting skills, the ability to qualify opportunities, the capabilities of identifying, accessing decision makers, having effective sales conversations to move opportunities through the pipeline, the ability to present at the right times to the right people, the ability to close opportunities and move them to closure, which interestingly enough, teams really, really struggle with. And I could talk about that more, but you will know as a leader, here are those competencies, um, at least to a degree, you're going to know that just through your experience and through observation. So if you start to build that matrix and you look at your team to say, who has strength in this area? And you just, just, just write their names down into those areas, who has those skills? That's at least a starting point for you that you can use observational qualitative data to understand where your team is at today and then bounce that up against, here's where I need to go. Now, what do I need to help my teams with? Coaching, skill development, goal setting, whatever that might look like, then you can start to plug that in, in your own team to move yourself forward. So this, we could have done a whole episode on what you just brought up. I'm like sad right now that we only have 10 minutes left in this conversation, because this I think is something that's so actionable. There's so many levels on this. Number one, you just introduced an idea that all data is not data that comes from your CRM. Observational data is maybe more powerful than recorded data from whatever, right? Did, did I hear you say that right? Because you didn't say that. That I was like, I'm putting a label on that. Did, did, is that right? It's Yeah, it is correct. And you can you balance out the use of quantitative data with your qualitative observational data. If yeah. you see something that you agree with or don't agree with, Observe it in your teams for 30 days in that, in that, that individual and watch when you start to look for it, you will likely see it and you can either confirm or uh, contradict through your powers of observation, what it is that you're seeing in your quantitative data. So I've often thought that this is really, really interesting to me. I'm like, I'll fired up now and I'm, now I'm going to want to have you come back sooner because this is. The social uh, in 2021, COVID hit and everybody had to start managing, like you said, remotely, and it changed a lot of things. Um, observational moments, those moments of watching people do their job, it in many cases went away. I know and, it's so hard, and it's been slow to come back. It's like mm -hmm. I watch a lot of people that they they we don't have those observational moments, those moments of observations, and I love that. You got data that says there's a question mark here. Don't just beat people with data. Use that to like create a hypothesis of what you should be watching for and then watch with different levels of intent. That's what I'm gathering from you. And that will make a much, much better leadership experience because now it won't be, well, the data says, right? Or, you know, it's too bad that you're on the bottom of the stack rank or whatever. It's like, hey, Rob, 
I've been like watching you work and I love this and this, but one of the things I'm trying to wrap my hands around is why are we struggling with this? Because I've seen this. I, I can see that leading to this really powerful conversation. That is, I love this because that is, that's using data to have a partnership conversation, if you will. Um, there, there is a book that I really, um, there's a book that I've really learned a lot from in around giving feedback and using observation. The book's called Radical Candor by Kim oh, Scott. Yeah. Great book. And yeah, I, I, I really have learned a lot from that book about how to, uh, I have a long way to go with this, Rob, but how to have those really candid and compassionate conversations with somebody about you know, what might be happening. So to your point, if you play out that example, you're seeing something in a dashboard or in the CRM or wherever you're seeing it that is a piece of quantitative data. It's a number. But you're but our job as leaders is to uncover what is the story that the data is telling us. That's mm. where we that's where we earn our stripes, if you will, which is here's the quantitative piece of data. Here's the person on my team that it's impacting. I'm the person that's in the middle helping to interpret and understand what that means. So to play out your example, it's that kind of candid conversation that says, here's what the quantitative data is telling me. Tell me your viewpoint on it. Let's figure out how to move forward together and put together a plan. Because that's a way different use of data than to say, man, you only did a hundred calls this week and you were supposed to do 200. What, what happens? Yeah. That's an elite way. That's, that's like next level. That's man, this is really, really great because you don't hear people talk this way. One of the things I've observed is the best leaders realize they're in the people business, not just the numbers business, yeah. but you, you got to blend it. You can't just be, Oh, I'm a people person. I don't care about the, no, the data matters, but you can't just be a data person and not connect to the people. And what you've just described is a really healthy way for for data to help leaders connect to a person instead of to numbers. So we're down to six minutes. What do you think we should have talked about that we didn't get to? I want to give you, just give you the mic. I want to like, this is open mic at the improv time with Amy Franco. Let's go. <laughs> oh, Rob. All right. I'm going to give you two, two things here. Let's go. Two, two improv things. The Let's first go. Is, the first is as a leader, there are a couple of buckets that if you focus your time on when you're with your teams, part of your roles, part of your role, important parts is, are we holding our teams accountable, creating an environment of healthy accountability? Are we creating an environment that to the best of our ability is motivating and empowering? Okay. Are we coaching our teams? Because that's a huge role as a leader. And are we uh, recruiting new people into our organization. It's the talent pipeline, if you will. That's a big role as, as leaders, which I won't go down the rabbit hole on. But really if, you think about, if you think about your role, those are four areas that you could spend- you say those four again? Will you just out, will you spit those out really fast? I want our listeners to be able to like get a punch list from me really quick on this one. Healthy accountability. Yep. Uh, and motivating environment. Yep. Coaching. Yep. Recruiting. Love it. Love it. And here's my last piece of improv. If there is one area that you spend some time with your teams on, help them create personal written goals. 84 Sit in that for a minute. Sit yes. in that for a minute, okay? I'll give you a little statistic. 
of elite sellers, 84% of them, your top 5%, they have personal written goals and they have a plan to reach those goals. You as a sales leader can help your team to put together those plans. Not could, probably should, right? Yes. Because if could, good looks should, like- Good should, absolutely. Right? If good, <laughs> like we talked about, as leaders, we want to help people know what good looks like. Well, the top, the elite sellers, if the one of the consistent trends is they've written these things down, they are not the best kept secret. You know, this is enrollment. This is how you get people to sign up. If you don't know what they're chasing, it's very hard for you to coach people on things that they care about. And that will lead you to like becoming stale again. Well, here's what the data says. Now nah, use data to help them chase, right? A lot of modern sales success comes down to the fundamentals and having a strategy for the fundamentals and implementing the fundamentals. A written plan is one of those basic fundamentals. I burned up two pages of notes with you fast. I can't believe we're out of time. I want to make sure we have time for our, our listeners to get more from you. I, I know you've got a lot of things to offer and we'll, we'll get some links for you to some of your resources that you have and things you want to make available. And we'll put those in the show notes. Um, that final two things you gave us, that's something that 50,000 people are going to benefit from if they choose to. How do they get more of you, Amy? How do they connect with you? How do they get your book? How do they pick up what you're putting down? Like, how do we make it easy for people to get more from you? Two places, um, amyfranco.com. I have a great sales planning template out there that takes you through some of these high level pieces to help your team put a plan together to my last point. So amyfranco.com. Um, and also please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and let me know that you connected through uh, Rob's podcast. It would be great to, to connect with you out there. Amy, you got a final thought for a bunch of people that are like saying, Rob, like you should have talked less so she could talk more. You got a final thought for everybody as we get ready to send them off to hopefully the best year of their career this year. My final thought is always bet on yourself. Make mm. the investment in yourself. Because when you invest in yourself, you build your self-confidence, you build your skills, and that's what's going to help you to be successful no matter what is happening out in the world. Amy, you're you're so good. This was fun. I can't believe how fast this went. This uh, was fun. Thank you. We'll, it was we'll have great. to have you back for a round two because you're right. There's like five or six different areas we could have taken this one. I love where this one ended, though. Her name is Amy Franco. She literally wrote the book on modern sales success. Uh, you got a little taste of it today on how we can use data to create better partnerships, collaborative partnerships, rather than ambushing people, because lots of data doesn't equal lots of results. And if you want to figure out how to get those results, my advice, check out more of what Amy has to offer. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. If you have not checked out Sales Leadership United, do yourself a favor and check it out 
today. It's a new year, new dynamics, new challenges, and we've got to bring new levels of sales leadership to those we lead, and that's not easy. That's why tapping into the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world will be so important. I want you to think of Sales Leadership United as a Home Depot for sales leaders. There's everything you need to take your sales leadership game up and create elite levels of impact with those you lead. There are Everything you need, things like sales leadership curriculum, sales meeting concepts that are vetted and ready to go, proven frameworks, video insights from this episode with Amy and dozens of other elite sales leaders worldwide, a private podcast for members only, weekly updates on what I'm seeing other sales use and do to create elite impacts with the teams they lead. Listen, people join Sales Leadership United because of just the depth and the breadth of the sales leadership assets, but the reason they stay is because the tools remain so current, so relevant, and so immediately applicable. So don't reinvent sales leadership. You can find Sales Leadership United on Patreon, and for less than the cost of lunch, you can invest in yourself in a way that will supercharge your sales leadership journey. So tap into the tools, the trainings, the techniques used by some of the most successful sales leaders in the world and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now, when Amy told me I needed to have an episode dedicated to metrics, I instantly knew she was right. In fact, I was embarrassed that I'd never done one before. I've been, brought, I've been drawn uh, to Amy's approach to sales leadership and sales metrics for a long time. Because I think that metrics might be the most misunderstood and misused tool in all of sales. And I mean it. It's easy to understand why. Because most sales leaders do what was done to them. And when I work with sales leadership teams, I have a few trainings that are oriented just to creating the right metrics and using them the right way. And a number of things. There's so many mistakes we make that are metric related, like ambushing with data and using data that nobody has access to and trying to create gotcha moments. Or maybe worst of all, the term that I hate above all others, finding quote unquote skill gaps. If you're still using the term skill gap, call me and we'll talk about other ways to do that. Okay. Um, so when I work with leadership teams and we get to the metrics areas, I like to start by asking a question. I ask the members of the group to finish a sentence. I'll start a sentence and then I'll give them a blank. I want them to finish. I'll say metrics are for what? Fill in the blank. And I'll wait, like metrics are for, at first people don't want to raise their hand. They don't want to be the ones to answer. It's a really uncomfortable sentence. You should do it yourself. Metrics are for what? What are they for? How would you finish that sentence? Let me give you the two ways I most often hear it. I hear metrics are for managing and I hear metrics are for measuring. Metrics are for managing, metrics are for measuring. And honestly, that's too bad. Most of the time people use metrics and, uh, and salespeople feel like they're under a microscope the way they do it. But it doesn't have to be that way because if you turn a microscope around, think about what that becomes for a second. If you take a microscope that's used to really looking at the small, teeny, tiny things, you flip it around, what does it become? It becomes a telescope. And there is a fine line between micromanagement and micro-awareness. Micromanagement happens when people have what may feel like arbitrary activity standards. Micromanagement happens when someone else is designing what salespeople, someone else is deciding what the salesperson needs to do. Listen, nobody wakes up in the morning hoping they're managed. I know that. In fact, that makes people laugh when I say that in, in my training classes. 
Micro-awareness is what happens when someone is chasing something that matters to them. Like when I coach my basketball players, we talk about specific things in footwork or the specific ways that we use our hands when we're defending or, or denying the way we turn our head instead of our body, small things like that. When we're micro-aware, when we're trying to get an outcome or an objective that matters to us, we like to get micro-aware of the small details and we do them with excitement. Micro-management is when we do things that other people tell us to do for what may feel like arbitrary reasons. So when you break things down that have to happen into the smallest steps that will lead to predictability in results that you care about, that's when you'll see micro-awareness. And the more aware we are of the small or seemingly simple things that can lead to success, the more likely we are to do it. And if these things are tied to something that the salesperson's chasing rather than being told to do, then the more likely they're not only going to do it, but they're going to do it with excitement. <clears throat> and that's why my personal favorite way to end that sentence is the title of this episode. Metrics are not for managing. Metrics are not for measuring. That's what rookies do. That's what people who are still trapped in the early 2005 to 2012, 2013 world of activity management live. And if that's what you're doing, I hope you can use this to change. Because my way to end it is metrics are for mapping. <clears throat> and by that, I mean we're mapping a way into the future. Listen, if you're not using metrics like a GPS, you could get a lot more bang for your metric buck. And that's why I'm so glad Amy joined me today. A modern seller should do more than just show up, work hard, and hope. She's right. Lots of data does not equal lots of results. How do you use data to create outcomes members of your team choose to chase? That's a super important question. And that starts with a data philosophy. I'm so glad she started with that because too many start with the objective of selling first to manage behavior rather than that GPS concept. Nobody gets mad at a GPS when it tells you to turn right. Nobody gets mad at the gas gauge on your car when it tells you it's time to get gas because we're using these metrics to get us someplace that we care about. So if you don't have a forward-looking relationship with metrics, fix it. Amy gives us a fantastic blueprint of how to do just this, and it starts with clarity on what good looks like. Because we sign up, because we enroll, because we agree to what we're chasing, and that simplifies which metrics to use and why they matter and how to gather them. Maybe most important, it will give us a different definition of what they mean and how we use them to adjust. But my very favorite part about this conversation was when she separated the quantitative part of data or the measured metrics or data from the qualitative or observed metrics and data. And after hearing Amy talk about observational data, I'll tell you, I used it with a few of the leaders that I work with and I had an almost immediate success. The, the conversation that I have with these people that I coach around observational data kind of stacked up on top of measured data was awesome. So I guess I'd finish this so what with the two things that really stand out to me from this awesome conversation with, with, with Amy. Number one, be involved with what your team members are chasing, not just what the quota is. Did you catch her stat of those 84% of President Club Achievers having written goals that were discussed with the sales leader? These goals weren't the best kept secrets. They, the, the leader was involved. So you need to be involved with these written down chasing points so you can create metrics that will fuel micro awareness. Second, create observational data. This is the stuff that's going to be a difference maker. You'll find the right activities. You'll connect before you correct. You'll identify the skills to improve no matter what the experience level is of the rep, and you'll become more valuable than ever before. 
Listen, I was recently looking at a study by Bain and company where they asked salespeople how helpful their sales leader was. They asked, the salespeople were asked, if you had to pay out of your own pocket, how much would you pay for an hour with your sales leader? And the overwhelming answer, 54% said less than a dollar, not even a buck. You ask yourself, how much would your reps pay for an hour with you? If you aren't part of their chase, the answer will be probably very little. But if you're part of their chase team, then, then you may be worth a lot because you bring a GPS approach to how you lead, the right metrics, the right perspective, the right insights. You'll become extremely valuable. So take some time this week to evaluate how you use metrics because if metrics aren't for mapping, then rethink how you use them because way too many leaders are still stuck in the world of activity management. And that means the only way you're gonna have impact is if you get those they lead to just do more. More activities, more phone calls, more emails, more events, more, 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 more. Listen, I found that most salespeople and sales teams are already working hard. And if you've established a rhythm of high effort, then the answer or the plan of having growth come from working harder is scary. In fact, I reject it most of the time because very rarely is it a recipe for success. Most often it's a recipe for burnout. So we got to help them have a different kind of more. And the more I'm talking about is more better, more better. Okay? And the metrics done right will fuel improvement in places that matter. The conversion and the improvement metrics. So be a difference maker, not a manager. Use metrics in a way that people run to. Don't let metrics become a necessary evil. So Amy, thank you so much for joining me. I love your approach to metrics done right. I appreciate your energy and insight around our roles as sales leaders. And I, I'm so grateful your commitment to helping develop success for the modern salesperson and modern sales team. You're a difference maker. And this conversation you had with me today was a good one. I appreciate your willingness to share your insights with sales leaders all around the world. So my advice, connect with Amy, reach out to her, follow her. We've put the links in the show notes to make it easy for you to get everything Amy can give you to help you in your sales leadership journey. And be sure to check out Sales Leadership United to get the video segments of the highlights of my conversation with Amy. You will want those for sure. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. Listen, the greatest compliment I get is when you tell me that you shared the show with someone. Please introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. And you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to Patreon and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. And if you liked this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it. And then get after it this week because life is short. You got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget that you got this and I got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.